Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. I am still Josh Bicer, and we got a great cast for you tonight. We're going to be returning to the topic of user-created content and how it applies to from MMOs to uh, games as a service style titles and what it means to keep people invested in a game by allowing them to create whatever they want and some of the challenges and considerations that go into it. My guest tonight is the head of Sansar Studios, who has been working as part of Linden Labs in terms of Project Sansar, which is a major platform and development tool that he's going to be discussing and how it's allowing people to use and put out their own custom content. So please welcome Jason Goldston. Hi, Josh. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, just been uh, been traveling a bit, working on some really interesting projects that I'm really excited to get out in front of people here, hopefully really soon. Great. And for people listening to us right now, we did a podcast with uh, Ebby from Linen Labs. It will probably be going up mostly before this cast says. And I just want to say to you as well, Jason, congratulations on the 14-year anniversary of Second Life. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's really inspiring to see that the the community in Second Life is pretty much as vibrant as as it's ever been, you mm-hmm. know. And to to the theme of this this show, um, they're in there building worlds, building clothes, building you mm-hmm. name it, and uh, and as much today as they were, uh, you know, all those years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exciting to see what people are up to in there. Definitely. And as we talked about with Ebby, and as, uh, for people who listen to me when we do some of our live casts, we've spoken about the virtues of user-created content, how it does so much to not only allow the user to create their own personal sense in the game, <laughs> but obviously it can turn into big bucks, depending upon how popular they've gotten. Obviously, with Second Life, I know you guys have a very healthy economy with people buying and selling their own goods, and we even see this in the larger sense from developers such as Valve and other ones who've allowed people to make and even sell their own mods within their own titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I, I think I heard you uh, uh, say in an even larger sense, Valve. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is uh, Second Life pays out to its creators, you know, mm-hmm. the creators in the system that redeem uh, Linden dollars for the sale of the, the items they make uh, for Second Life. When they redeem those Linden dollars, sell them on the Linden dollar exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've paid out you know over sixty million dollars like last year, mm-hmm. you know, or something in that ballpark, and that's right up there. That's more sometimes uh, some years than what uh, Valve is paying out yeah. to uh, creators on their platform. You know, um, the uh, Steam Workshop. Yeah. And and so uh, I wouldn't necessarily say as uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about <laughs> they're, they're they're very similar uh, in that scale, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, it, it's a it's a vibrant economy. Mm-hmm. Many many people are uh, contributing in any number of ways. You know, uh, content services. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's really exciting to see. 
Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the more interesting aspects, not only of keeping games like Second Life for so long, aiming just this greater sense of a user-created economy or market, that when I've spoken to, like, general people, I did a presentation about VR a few weeks ago, probably a few months by the time people are listening to it, and I brought up Second Life, and I told people about how uh, there's an entire economy and people are, you know, buying, selling, essentially living on Second Life. They all gave me this weird look like, nah, that can't be right. You know, a game that you can do that? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and It's absolutely true, right? Mm-hmm. So there are some creators, you know, that are clearing, a, you know, bringing home a million dollars a year selling, mm. you know, uh, high value, uh, high quality uh, avatar items, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the Second Life marketplace. And we're seeing the market uh, emerge in Sansar as well, where people are creating really amazing avatar items and uh, selling those, mm-hmm. you know, for real money as well. Definitely. And uh, like we said a few minutes ago, with uh, second way pulling in about or paying out about $60 million last year. That is some serious money, as anyone listening to yeah. this cast can attest to. And yeah, what I think in terms of what we'll talk about first, I want to focus a little bit more or focus specifically more on the general idea of user created content. And then we'll probably spend the back half or the remainder of our time talking more about Sansar itself and what that is for Sounds people great. interested in checking it out. So Awesome. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. All right. So when it comes to user-generated content, I guess my first question is, with something like Second Life, and I'm assuming with Sansar, what, I guess, what does that like essentially mean? Like, let's say someone's listening to this cast right now who is looking at these games and, you know, sees, like, a custom hat or an avatar or stuff like that. What exactly, or I guess if, if it's not too specific or more generally, what does custom or user-generated content look like in a game like Second Life or Sansar? Yeah, that's a great question, Josh. Mm-hmm. So, because, you know, in so many games, you know, strict games, uh, you know, in the classic sense of, you know, electronic games, video games, mm-hmm. you know, when they say user-created content, they kind of mean, uh, you know, you take what's in their little building kit that they give you, you might kit bash it together in a couple, you know, in some kind of way that, you know, or this way or that way, and there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you start talking about the likes of Second Life and Sansar, uh, you're talking completely importing assets uh, from scratch for many people. So they're building 3D models in in Blender and Maya and ZBrush and you name the program. They're texturing those models. They're uh, applying sound effects and scripts mm-hmm. to them so that they're, they do all kinds of interesting things. This like you know, theoretical 3D model, and then they upload that into uh, into the platform, where that where then they can sell it or give it away. Um, and and the nature of these creations, they really can be anything. People build furniture, people build buildings. They 
create entire games. Like someone, someone may build a pinball machine that they place into the world, and then whenever an avatar, whenever a user visits their own private apartment that they built from scratch, they can spend a few minutes playing the pinball machine that they bought from another player. So we're not talking about you know just a few custom decals or hey I kit bashed this rock into this chair and now it's my <laughs> rocking chair right um this is like straight up making stuff like yeah. really making stuff and it can get very very sophisticated that being said you know there these both these systems second life and sansar these platforms allow users who may not be expert creators you know be mm -hmm. that a 3d modeler texture artist or scripter they may not be expert creators but they still want to express themselves they still want to build worlds they still want to build games and so by virtue of the marketplace where you can go and either get free items or purchase items you can take those items now lay them out combine them recombine them remix them into something that that can be quite unique and and used in ways uh, that the creator may not have anticipated, and, and and in new and exciting ways, and and so in that sense, any anybody can really become a creator on these platforms, not just the people who are you know experts. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Jason, because that was going to be my next question regarding. I guess the level of expertise needed to craft stuff. You already mentioned people going into Blender and importing assets into Second Life, but or, or um, and Sansar. But the platforms themselves also allow people from within to alter and essentially create their own stuff as well. Correct. Yeah, it's really important, right? Mm -hmm. Because having these novice creators or these people that are just customizing they just want to customize the space they want to build a house and decorate it or they want to make a little you know man cave whatever it might be someplace to hang out with their friends you know they act as customers for these expert creators you know who build the meticulously build the furniture and you know apply you know sometimes decades of experience designing and building mm -hmm. things uh they bring that to bear to create some really uh, fantastic virtual goods you know we have you know fashion industry veterans who are building avatar clothes um you know we, you know you have some really expert creators in there uh really building some great stuff and these customizers and people who are there to hang out with their friends and have fun and explore, they're purchasing those goods. And by doing so, you know, kind of making those editorial choices and curating their own collections of goods and uh, kind of expressing who they are, what they think, uh, expressing their aesthetic sense and who, who, who they want to project themselves to be in these virtual spaces. Mm -hmm. And I like that. You used the word uh, craftsman earlier, Jason, because when I spoke with Ebby a few months ago, he used the exact same term about what it means to be creating these items. And I think that's that could be one of the general misconceptions when we're talking about these digital mm -hmm. goods. Because mm -hmm. as I'm sure you're no doubt aware of, whenever we talk about user-generated content, 
it can run the gambit. There are people who will just literally, you know, they'll take like a blue wig, they'll put like a white paint over and say, oh, it's my original white wig. And I'll sell for 20 cents on like the Steam Workshop or somewhere Mm -hmm. else. But then, of course, as you just said, on the complete opposite end, we have people literally creating things from scratch and making it their own to then sell whether it is, again, on any one of these platforms. Yeah, I and you know, I don't want to disparage or discourage, you know, people who are like taking that blue wig, turning it white. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be very well that there's they're uh, you know, addressing a, a clear market demand or need. Mm-hmm. At, at the very least, they're hopefully having some fun doing it, mm-hmm. and that's enough. Yeah. Um and that's how you get started sometimes, you know? You start by building you know uh, climbing onto the shoulders of a giant and mm-hmm. see where you can go from there i guess you know mm-hmm. it's 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 i think the important thing is that people not be intimidated that they have fun with it and and just uh, be open to learning yeah because there's a lot to learn definitely and I guess as an example for myself, I've been doing more with Adobe Photoshop with the stuff that I put out on YouTube. And when mm-hmm. I just started, it was just me like literally just like copying and pasting like the Game Wisdom logo onto an image and calling it a day. And now I'm trying to get a little bit more fancier with taking other images, cutting out the parts I need and arranging them to actually make something original. And mm-hmm. as you said, and as anyone who's done this kind of stuff knows, for these platforms and for the software to work, it has to be approachable by everybody. Because, of course, you're not going to have, you know, five million master craftsmen playing your game or <laughs> making yourself. You're going to have people who are just literally trying to put stuff together and see if anything happens with it. Yeah. Well, you certainly do, you, you know, uh, on these platforms, uh, you know, Sansar, Second Life, you have... Uh, different groups of users you have the craftsmen and you have the consumers you know that are there to hang out have fun purchase go purchase the goods created by the craftsmen you know and uh otherwise uh you know have a good time Mm -hmm. Uh, um and there's that's fantastic you know everyone fact you know feeding into the economy everyone and in doing so so, helping to create a community and uh, adding richness to the, the platform on a whole. Definitely. And all the meanings of that word. Yep. <laughs> and like we've said on a previous podcasts, and I'm sure you can agree with, when the community grows by allowing, again, these two different markets, the consumers and the craftsmen, to kind of uh, interject or mingle with each other – it keeps people invested in these worlds, and it's why some of the most popular massive multiplayer online games like Second Life, World of Warcraft, EverQuest, aiming older titles like Ultima Online, and so on, hook these people to play for months, if not years at a time, because they become invested in this space that they kind of help co-create it. Yeah. I, I, you know, people seen and what we've seen in Second Life and, and now the Sansar and you know people stick around when it's a world they built mm-hmm. or at least feel they had a hand in building you know uh, 
some people have a lot of you know skin in the game uh, you know in the the usual economic sense you know they've paid in they've purchased yes. goods they've they've built relationships with these craftsmen they've you know some of them have even become you know sort of patrons in a sense to these people you know to these creators and and, and encouraging them you know and those relationships you know, are strong, you Mm -hmm. know, it's just as, you know, you get to know your local, you know, butcher, whichever merchant you like of some small local shop, you want to try to go to them whenever you can. And you build that relationship up. And those, those relationships that come from commerce often give rise to community. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, on the topic, again, of the consumer kind of working with or creating these uh, items or whatever the content is within the game. Here's, I guess, another general misconception, or I'm curious how this applies to Second Life and Sansar, Jason. And Mm -hmm. that is the idea of when we talk about traditional video games and allowing users to either customize or personalize content within it, Usually, that content has to already be defined by the developer. It must already either exist in some form. So, uh, for example, for people listening to us, let's say I want to make a jetpack in a game. If In a traditional game, the only way I could do that is if the developer already thought about that and put in the assets or the general code first. Now, Mm -hmm. with something like Sansar and Second Life, are... Are there those limitations in place, or have you seen people create stuff that you and the rest of Linen Lab and Sansar never even considered? So one of the things is just uh, so amazing about Second Life and Sansar is uh, it every time you turn it on, every time you log in, you're going to see something you would have never anticipated. And the world is better for it. You're just like, oh, that's incredible. I, I don't... Why does anyone need bunny ears, you know, 20 meters tall? Well, there they are, and wow, we needed those. Those are great, you know. Um, we, our system, our platforms are relatively open-ended. There are constraints, but they're, they're kind of few and far between. And this allows people to really turn it into, to match their heart's desire. You know, they can really go in there and build some fascinating things, jet packs, you know, you name it, Mm -hmm. they're there. I, I, you know, Second Life has this really great community of sailors, you know, that just go around and sail around the virtual ocean that's in Second Life, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no particular, built ground up you know <laughs> sailing simulator per se but through virtue of the content they uploaded and leveraging some variables that are in the system you know such as wind direction you know they were able to create you know sailing game mm-hmm. basically within the platform and and so they it really is what people want to make it it's very much you know a sandbox and you know it's 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 really allows people to play the way they want they play the games they want to play the way they want to play them mm-hmm. and uh we're seeing we're going we're working very hard to push that even uh further in, in Sansar you know mm-hmm. 
So it's a, it's a whole other level of flexibility beyond what you see in a typical game, whereby, as you described it, you know, there's a jetpack. Well, they already built the jetpack, but they'll let you put a sticker <laughs> on it or change the color of the jet nozzle from red to orange or to blue, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, and that kind of emergent behavior, I mean, that could be, you know, several podcasts worth of discussions. It's that much of a yeah. very complicated philosophy and design sense. And what I was just thinking about as you were we were talking about the jetpack example, it reminded me a lot of the original game Spore from EA and Max mm-hmm. is about Jeez, mm-hmm. it feels like it doesn't feel like it's been out that long, but I think it's been about like eighteen years, maybe a little less than that. Oh, well, not quite that long. It's, it's, it came out around uh, like what 2010? 2012, something like that. <laughs> wow. It's been a little while, a little while. And my sense of time, Jason, since you're new on here, you don't know this, but I've lost all concept of time <laughs> when it comes to talking about the game industry, just because it, it's just so much to get into. Oh, okay, 2008, so I was really off there, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I was close. You were better I, I than me. <laughs> but yeah, like something like Spore, that was, I think, one of like, the first really big cases of, at least from the general market, of trying to allow people to create their own custom content. And one of the issues that game kind of ran into, for a lot of people, they felt like it was kind of like they were getting all dressed up with nowhere to go. I can make this very creative looking creature. But all I can do is kind of like walk around, talk with other creatures. And Mm -hmm. what you were describing with the sailing example in Second Life, that is definitely a strong case of emergent behavior of being able to just say, sure, I'm going to build this boat. We're going to see how it works in the water. And then let's do do something with it. Like, as you said, the game is open or I'm sorry, the platform is open ended enough to essentially accommodate all this without you know, I guess the metaphorical sign going saying, you can't do this. Yeah, so it it, it it speaks to the virtues of building what amounts to, in many respects, a general purpose development platform. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some people, you know, it's not entirely unlike uh, a game engine, like, uh, you know, uh, what you see in a Unity or Unreal or, mm-hmm. you know, id Tech or, you, you know, name name the engine. Now, the thing, the thing is that it's all up in the cloud and anyone can contribute to the shared experience of it. And that's what really sets it apart. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a sort of ground truth to it that isn't typically there. Excuse me, uh, when you talk about, let's say, like uh, a mod community, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A mod is, you know, it's a mod, you know, but, you know, you log in the Second Life or Sansar, there is a shared experience there. But that shared experience, you know, is definitive in a way. um, And it, but it's adjacent to this whole other completely crazy experience and next to a whole nother amazing one. You know, it, it, they're each kind of their own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that general purpose, or that general use is such a very mm-hmm. effective way of, again, allowing for this almost adaptability of the game for people to do whatever yeah. they want within it. Now, I guess with that said, I have a few other questions 
I guess this is where we get to some maybe more like the meteor details of what it means to produce sure. stuff in Second Life and Sansar. And I'm sure for people listening who want to, who are thinking about pursuing this further, they're probably wondering this themselves. So mm-hmm. the first one, this I think is another one of those misconceptions, has to do with this idea of an economy. I know I definitely brought this up when I spoke with Evie a few months ago, but. When we talk about, obviously, the difference between digital and physical goods, everybody understands that digital goods are code. There are lines of data. Mm-hmm. And with a physical good, there is a actual hard limit. If a company produces 500 chairs, that's it. There's not going to be additional 500 mm-hmm. chairs. So with this idea of user-generated content in Second Life and Sansar, for people listening, like how do does it work in terms of them building stuff via code and then essentially saying, I will only allow, let's say, 10 of these specific shirts to exist within this platform? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, – so you raise a, a really – one of the dimensions of value, mm-hmm. right? The way in which people value a good, be it physical, be it virtual, and that's scarcity. Yes. You know, it, that, that – in purchasing this scarce or unique item, you know, it shows you were there, you, you got lucky, you got the thing, you know, and this is an important, you know, at least from a, at the very least, a psychological standpoint, oh, like yes. people, people, people invest, you know, they, they feel invested in items that seem scarce, you know, and they, they want to show them off and all that and very valuable. It's, 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 a, it's a, it's a powerful notion. Yes. Um, there's different ways of achieving it, you know, uh, on, on the platforms, uh, we're building out the subsystems that would allow for such things to happen in Sansar and in Second Life, you know, uh, certain items, you know, have, there's uh, external databases keeping track of how many of a given thing have been sold and will shut down sales or stop you know, generating them once certain levels are reached, you know, Mm -hmm. these are, these are, uh, these are effects. These are these are uh, kind of uh, uh, effects that can be achieved in the systems. Yes, scarcity. Yes, mm-hmm. and that, uh, Jason, that we could spend like another forty minutes to an hour discussing in terms of what it means for any kind of goods, and especially like when we talk about games like Team Fortress or other games as a service models, mm-hmm. where they release specific items, let's say for, you only have two weeks to get these, you know, holiday theme items, or I'm sure anybody listening to this knows about the whole Overwatch seasonal events, and as you said, mm-hmm. that psychological trick or that kind of manipulation is a very powerful motivator when it comes to yeah. dictating value. And, and and so you could you could step back and you're like, yes, technically they could keep selling mm-hmm. those indefinitely, but you know, it, it it really depends on the objective. And and I don't mean particularly of those companies or these large entities, but even, you know, the smaller, mm-hmm. you know, mom and pa shops yeah. of virtual goods, if you will, you know, they they, they want to create a similar kind of uh, intensity of interest you know as well uh it's it's all in the end a kind of marketing strategy and and just as we see these kinds of uh things happen in the real world the same kinds of marketing exercises and tactics come into play in the virtual worlds Mm -hmm. 
Now, here's a question for you, Jason. And this is going, I guess, be possibly one of many stupid questions for myself about what it means to create these goods in a digital space. But um, as we've talked about, people can either import assets or work on things from third-party programs and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. like, let's say, for instance, I want to make uh, – I don't know. Let's say I want to make a custom barbecue set that I want to put mm-hmm. into the game. Is this a matter of someone building this outside of Second Life or Sans are importing it? Or are there actual like items or properties they can buy or acquire within the game to then combine into the specific good that they want? It's it's really both those options. Okay. So let's say I'm a, a professional 3D modeler by day mm-hmm. and I like to create stuff on the side in the evening to maybe pick up a little extra cash. Well, that person's probably just going to bust open their 3D modeling app of choice, you know, bang out the model really quick because they know that tool. And uh, there you go. Um, but let's say you're, you're, you're kind of getting your feet wet in this whole digital content creation thing. You may take advantage of, I'm going to go onto the store and I'm going to buy item ABC and item XYZ and kind of mix those together to create a whole new item. Um, that That's something that uh, perhaps a more casual creator will do. But that's not to say that an expert might not do the same mm-hmm. thing. So the And I think this is an important thing. This is something we've taken into account uh, very much so uh, as we've been building out Sansar. And that is, well, the first principle here is that digital content can be pretty complicated to build and multifaceted. And each of those facets, each of those kind of types of sub-content, the constituent parts, if you will, of a given piece of virtual content, each of the the, uh, disciplines that kind of come into play there, you know, be it engineering, be it uh, 3D modeling, sound design, uh, texture painting, you know, given all those different skills that come into play to create a, a solid, really valuable piece of content, it's incredibly unlikely that a single person is equally good at all those given disciplines. So that's why when you go to a game studio, there's different departments, and each department has people that that's their specialty. That's the thing. And so with Sansar, we've worked hard to build the underlying systems that allow people, that will allow people to collaborate in this way, just as uh, they do at a game studio, whereby the person who is really great at writing scripts, they're going to write the script. The guy who's doing a 3D model and can do the 3D model, you know, and they may not actually know these people, but they might be able to go on the marketplace and find these parts and combine them in a way. You, you know, because that 3D modeler may not be an expert C-sharp scripter, but they're really good at 3D modeling and it'd be a shame for them not to be able to contribute to the economy just because they're not an equally good uh, scripter. Mm-hmm. So, so this is an important notion um, that it really takes a team of people very often. They may not know they're a team <laughs> sometimes, 
but um, but they they are uh, nonetheless in a sense. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought about how sometimes these items and these the war can kind of be traded around and lead to bigger and better things. Was well, that takes mm-hmm. me uh, to a few other questions I have regarding I I guess some of the more logistical or even some of the more legal aspects of user generated content. And then I'll throw over to you. There's anything else we didn't talk about. And then we'll move on to talking more regarding Sansar specifically. Great. So on that subject of people being able to basically build off of someone else's work, that mm-hmm. certainly leads into the topic of about ownership when it comes to content. And this is a topic that is massive no matter how you talk about and with both of us not being lawyers, we can't get too specific <laughs> about this, especially for recording like this. So, yeah. uh, the question that I wanted to ask you about with regards to Sansar and Second Life has to do with this idea of, I guess, co-opting or basically taking someone else's content and working with it or enhancing it. And sure. for people listening to us, there is a huge debate with regards to the Steam Workshop on the subject, when it came to selling mods, as in, if I put a mod up and then you build your mod off of mine and then you start selling it, what kind of legal ramifications are there? Now, obviously, that's yeah. way too big, or we certainly can't discuss on that front. But when it comes to Second Life and Sansar, how does it work with regards to taking someone else's content, whether you purchase it, you yeah. trade it for it, and then building off of that to then make it your own? Yeah, it it's a complicated subject. Mm-hmm. Um, as a creator on the Linden Lab platform, Sansar and Second Life, you have some options. You can kind of set up, configure your content such that it can't really be a part of the, you know, sy- systematically enabled uh, collaboration, if you will. So if you don't want your stuff to be modified or otherwise edited or added to other stuff, you can configure it such that that's not possible. Mm-hmm. So in that in that case, you can kind of sidestep these these uh, issues altogether. Mm-hmm. Now, in regards to your example regarding the mods on Steam, you know that you know this person building on top of that other person, and who's getting paid mm-hmm. and all that. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that's really important to us is that if you if you make a piece of content and you're selling it and it gets included someplace else, it's really important to us, at least. You know, one of our goals is to build the system such, you know, in, in, in particular with Sansar, one of the goals is to make sure you get paid, yeah. you know, so, so that, you know, if you, if you contributed a script that's being used and that script costs a certain amount of money, anytime a, a piece of content that uses that script is resold, you should see a, a cut of that, okay. you know, that, that's an important thing is something that's really philosophically uh, important to us. We, 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 it's one of our, in, in many respects, one of the core principles. Because back to some of the stuff we were discussing earlier, it's through that kind of system that specialists can emerge, mm-hmm. that the overall quality of the content will rise, and people can really f- focus on the things where they add the most value. Mm-hmm. Now, what you just said there, Jason, is very interesting. With regards to 
Like if I make something and I sell it to, uh, let's say, John, and then John takes what I sold him and he sells it to Jane, do I get a proceeds of that second transaction? That's some of the stuff we're working on. Yes. Interesting. For Sansar, yes. Yeah, and that's what, you know, it's, uh, you, you could call it, it you know, it's, it's the way the economy works, mm-hmm. right? If you, if you're, we always talk about cars, you know, if you're building a car, if you're an automaker, you buy a lot of parts, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like yeah. those, you know, you buy a subsystem, that subsystem, buy parts of it, that, it, that it, you know, it carries mm-hmm. on and on. But in any case, um, that's the goal. That's some of the stuff we're working on. Interesting. And again, when we talk about even the idea of that kind of secondhand market, that's a whole nother quagmire. And that's the craziness about this stuff. For people listening, we're kind of focusing more on like the surface layer, maybe like a few layers below that, but it can get very complicated. And as I'm sure you, Abby, and the rest of Linden Labs knows, when you bring money into these equations – it just makes things so much harder. It really does. And the thing is, you're, you're dealing with IP, yes. right? It's, it's people's intellectual property. They've worked very hard to create it. They're invested in it. you know. And, and you want to be respectful of that and, and treat it very carefully. And, and that, that just takes some pretty hardcore engineering to make sure that, that that's happening, that, that people feel... Uh, you know, safe doing trade on these platforms. Yes, definitely. And again, security, that's another major aspect, especially when, like we said, whenever money gets factored in, it can bring in some, let's just say, unsavory elements to any market like that. <laughs> now, uh, what you just said there, Jason, regarding the an IP, that actually takes me to my last question regarding user-generated content. And that has to do mm-hmm. with the idea of using, of course, copyrightable images. I mean, you find a game that allows people to import assets or buy and share mods, and people are going to use copyrightable images and content. I mean, I'm sure everybody at this mm-hmm. point has seen the uh, Macho Man Randy Savage mod for a Skyrim at this point, and so on and so <laughs> forth. With Now, obviously, with something like Second Life and Sansar and the whole idea of having this economy, does Linden Labs basically just have a flat, like, you cannot use someone else's IP in effect, or how does that work? Generally speaking, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, again, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to yeah. go into too much detail. But what I will say is, should someone have an issue with a piece of content on the system, we can take that content down. Okay. You know, and and so there's enforcement there of you know the copyright, you know, built into the systems, and and we we think that's really important, and and it's not just to protect, you know. You know, mm-hmm. big corporation X, and you know their 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 big IP, but also I you know IP of small you know creators that aren't necessarily operating on that same scale. Yeah. You know, this stuff is is difficult to develop. You know, people spend a lifetime, you know, uh, putting together the experiences and learning a craft and all these things in order to create these, you know, this, this, this great engaging stuff. And then to have someone just come along and snag it, you know, Mm -hmm. for giggles or something is, is, uh, sort of sad in a way. So, so we want to make sure people's stuff is protected as best as we 
we know how and can technically do so. Mm-hmm. And I think with that, I guess here's one, I guess, somewhat of a minor tangent question. With Sansar and Second Life, I know obviously they're available on PC. Are are they available on other platforms? I know on Mac, but like, will it be yeah. on consoles or mobile devices? Uh, I, there are some Second Life clients mm-hmm. that, that run on Android. I can look into that. Uh, I can't name them off okay. the top of my head at this moment, but they do exist. Uh, they're pretty neat. I've played with them myself, and they're, 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 pretty, they're not too bad. Pretty cool. Um, in regards to Sa- Sansar, we are right now on, on PC, uh, Windows PC. We and in terms of VR, we we run with Windows Mixed Reality, Oculus Rift, mm-hmm. and the HTC Vive. Uh, as far as mobile devices, it's something that's important to us, but we're still working very hard to, and excuse me, very much focused on nailing nailing the premium PC-based VR experience. All right. And I guess I'm not sure if you would know the answer to this one, Jason, but with regards to buying and selling and doing any long user-generated content – does it change, or are there any big differences if, let's say, you're creating content for the PC version versus the Android version versus whatever other versions you guys may have in mind? Yeah, so obviously these these hardware platforms are differently capable, mm-hmm. right? And so what I'm talking about here is, at least in regards to Sansar, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of theoretical, but for the most part, this holds true of any kind of development you know, you got to take the capabilities of the targeted hardware platform into account. So if you're trying to build an experience or build a piece of content that's going to run, run really great on a more constrained platform, let's say a mobile phone, uh, your poly counts on your objects might be a little lower. Your texture size on your, on your models might be a little lower, uh, the san- you might not throw the highest quality sample rate on your audio clips in there. So you might dial some stuff down mm-hmm. a bit. You might not have quite so many objects in the world or fewer dynamic objects that are taking advantage of the physics simulation. So you would it would you it would behoove one to keep keep the hardware platform in mind as they're building their experience. Now, let's say you're really interested in just making a really awesome premium VR experience. Well, yeah, pull out the stops, uh, really go for it, but don't be surprised when it doesn't run so hot on your mobile phone. Yeah. So it's sort of this notion of you kind of aiming for the lowest common denominator in a way, uh, optimizing for that, and then anything that's more powerful than that will just run that much smoother and more reliably and that kind of thing. Okay. I've done a lot of multi-platform development over the years and it's an interesting uh, design space and challenge and it's uh, it's it's kind of fun to think about sometimes. Mm-hmm. How do you do it in a non-compromising <laughs> way? Uh, it's it's kind of tough. Yeah. There's always compromises, but you like to avoid them if you can. Yeah. And I guess as a minor tangent, I think one of the more interesting aspects of game development has been the fact that it's gone. It feels like a lot easier to do cross-platform support, especially this last decade, compared to ten to fifteen years prior. 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I remember doing mobile games back in the day. This is pre-iPhone, mm. you know, and you had to hit get your game to run on, you know, 250 <laughs> handsets of uh, you know 30 or 40 different screen resolutions across all these different (laughs) languages and you know key key layouts and all this stuff you know uh doing multi-platform now compared to then is is like almost like a (laughs) non-issue i kind of i i find it amusing (laughs) (laughs) all right before we move on to our final part talking about sansar jason are there any aspects about user-generated content, either general or specific, to Second Life and Sansar that we didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up now? I, I really encourage people who haven't explored these, you know, these kind of built-by-the-user kinds of worlds mm-hmm. to, to log in to Second Life, create an account, log in to Sansar, and, and take a take a look because they're they can be incredibly charming you know amazingly niche sometimes you know just completely unexpected in so many different ways it's it's sometimes they're like like diamond in the rough like oh wow that's like that's that's amazing and other times they're just so quirky and surprising you're just it's it's it, it just makes you smile just knowing it's there and that that someone saw to saw through to actually uh, build it out but i really encourage them uh people to to take a look at these spaces and some of them are really beautifully built and with a high degree of skill applied and others are more about the concept and the ideas are kind of rough around the edges but are kind of charming all the more charming for it you know mm-hmm. i think so many gamers are caught up on you know you know the graphics and the production values and things like that that sometimes these stuff that's maybe a little more rougher a little more personal maybe doesn't quite hold up but you know with all the indie games that are out there these days you know people seem to be opening up mm-hmm. but this is like <laughs> some of these places are like the indie of the indie of the indie yeah. you know and, and and it's and it's incredible and and it's it's it can be really addictive as you hop from one to the next to the next just mm-hmm. just each one so unique in in its way oh yeah and again there's more we could talk about i mean one of my favorite examples would have been just the community that's built up around something like super mario maker and allowing people to get really creative with a tool that pretty much is approachable by everybody yeah and that 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 speaks to you know people using a relatively constrained set of tools Mm -hmm. You know, to to really be pretty inventive. You know, people. You know, constraints are to be embraced to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I've, I'm one of those people that feel like you can't have creativity without constraints. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, the blank sheet of paper is not always a good thing. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, the, go do whatever you want assignment in class is not always a good one. <laughs> oh yes, and that's another that's a topic for another day to be sure. Mm-hmm. But with that said, we'll move on to the final section for our cast. So I figure we'll spend about 15 to 20 minutes and we're going to talk a little bit more about what Sansar is specifically for everybody listening. Sure. So with that said though, I guess my first question is how does Sansar uh, Sansar differ from Second Life? 
Yeah, well, thank, yeah, I'm excited to get to, to chat about Sansar. Uh, I've been working on Sansar for a good long while now. I, you know, help personally helped to build some of the earliest prototypes, and and so it's really exciting to see it out there and people building and using it. Um, it differs. The Second Life and Sansar uh, share quite a bit in common in that. Neither one has like a core game, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, they are both platforms. They are uh, platforms for people to create their own experiences and content, share that content, and monetize that content. And hopefully, if it's really great, have communities arise around that commerce and creativity. Mm-hmm. So they share that in common. But there's a few distinct uh, differences right now. Um, we, we embarked on building out Sansar as, you know, kind of a response to the rise of these new computing platforms, you know, namely, uh, VR, AR, mobile. Um, and as such, we, we had to build it very much with performance in mind. And so we, we've, we've built in a lot of optimizations to, to get performance up so that it, it you know, it can, you know, hit the frame rates it needs to hit to, to work in VR. And we've also built the, the code in a very portable way so that when the time is right, we can move it onto the mobile platforms as well. One of the key differences, you know, that helped us to do these optimizations or to do these speed, you know, to get this increased performances to, and this is a deviation from Second Life, and that is there's a distinct edit mode versus uh, consumption or play mode. Mm-hmm. Um, this allows us to, you know, bake the content down, you know, uh, really make it, uh, you know, run super fast and all that. It allows the servers to be more performant and all that. So mm-hmm. in many respects, that's like one of the key, that's the, the biggest single difference now there's some other philosophical differences you know in regards to you know in splitting the edit modes from the 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 exploration or play modes um that allows us to have that that play mode have a much simpler ui you don't have uh all the trappings of a development platform sitting there on the surface we can kind of you know uh hide some of that stuff which helps to make the the product overall a little a little more approachable a little easier uh for a casual user to get started and not you know be quite as overwhelmed with options Mm -hmm. you're like what I don't need an editor. I'm not building anything. I just want to go see this concert or just go watch this show or go see the movie or go play this game. It's when they decide to invest, you know, uh, take their commitment to the platform to the next level and become a creator that they can, you know, kind of start clicking on a couple of buttons that opens up a whole nother layer of it, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, with Sansar versus Second Life, um, with Second Life, obviously, as we've talked about before, there is, of course, the massive social aspect that has kept people coming back to it. It's not just you, you know, building a house. You can, as you just said, you can go to a concert, you can visit a museum, et cetera, et cetera. With Sansar, is there still that kind of like virtual world or virtual space for people to interact with? Or, 
is it more, I guess, I'm not sure what the term I want to use, maybe more uh, content or uh, objective driven? So thank you for bringing that mm-hmm. up. I Sansar is is social. Okay. Every experience is by default a social one. You know, the creator of that experience has control over who can come into it, but the networking, the hosting, the voice chat, the text chat, the the ability to route people to the experience by way of the Atlas address and all that stuff. That's all built in and, and it's super easy to use. It's, it's it really, uh, it's, it's just within a few clicks, you know, literally you can start from having nothing, no, no, no experience built at all. You can start from nothing, three, four clicks in and have, have an experience published and you can share the link to that experience with anyone in the world and have them come and join you in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, that's one of the things that Sansar does incredibly well. And the, it's social. It's fun to hang out there. It's fun to explore with people. Um, and, and, and each experience can, you know, we can have up to 40 people in a given instance any experience can be instanced an unlimited number of times. And if configured just so, uh, certain avatars can be broadcast across those instances. So that's what that becomes very handy in the concert scenario, for instance, where you have a performer, <coughs> you have a performer. Uh, uh, addressing, you know, let's say a hundred instances with four, 40, 40 people each in them. Mm-hmm. And, with Sansar, in terms of the content, while you were talking, Jason, I went onto the website. I was kind of looking at like the store and seeing some of the stuff that's available. Yeah. Does Sansar allow for any different kind of content compared to Second Life? Yeah, uh, you know, each system has its kind of capabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, so for instance. Uh, you know, our the scripting API is different in Sansar than it is in Second Life, but it, 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 there's similarities, mm-hmm. right? You know, they, there is an, there is a shared kind of you know aspect of place to it and space. You know, it, you you buy furniture, you buy clothes for avatars, you buy props, you buy scripts, you mm-hmm. you know it it, it gets built it, it gets. Um, there's plenty, plenty, plenty to be built yet, and plenty to buy yet. And uh, as we build Sansar out uh, more deeply, the variety of things in the store will increase as there's more capabilities to tap into. Mm-hmm. But um, right now, you know, uh, Second Life uh, has been around a while, a lot of development, and there's a huge variety of things in the store, but. Sansar is off to a pretty good start in regards to the types of things uh, that are available there, the variety. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that's particularly exciting about the Sansar store is the uh, the fact that we offer uh, a really uh, deep set uh, of garments, virtual garments that you can dress your avatar with and what's really cool about these garments is many of them were created in marvelous designer and Sansar. Uh, imports natively the Marvelous Designer format. And what Marvelous Designer is, is a virtual fashion 
virtual garment designing program. And so what's really great about that is all the garments will auto fit to your avatar. You can manipulate them like you would uh, a garment in real life, mm -hmm. like roll up <laughs> sleeves, tuck in a shirt, you know, because it's actually simulating the cloth and how the cloth, you know, lays on one garment to the next or onto the avatar and that's uh, that's a first of its kind integration and and what we've seen is people have totally ran with it and and have you know created so many amazing uh uh clothes and fashions and and one this is totally nerdy but it's really cool in the marvelous designer garments the zippers actually work so you can buy a jacket and you decide how much you want it zipped up upper zip down i mean you, you when you while you're dressing and styling your avatar you have that kind of level of manipulation you can roll up the sleeves of the jacket you purchased and then uh it, it's, it's it's super cool and it's a lot of fun and what's really great is and it gets back to this idea we talked about a little earlier about not everyone is good at everything so if you think about creating virtual garments what are the odds that the fashion designer, this fashion designer who wants to make a, a jacket, let's say, that they're they're not only a really great fashion designer, but they're also a really great technical artist who knows how to rig characters in Blender, <laughs> and, and then you know upload all that mesh, all that rigged mesh, and then make sure all the animations work on it. They don't need to worry about that in Sansar. They design their garment in Marvelous Designer, and it just works. Mm. And that's really opened up the fashion market, you know, and seen it help to see it grow at this kind of record clip, mm -hmm. you know, in Sansar. It's it's really pretty uh, incredible. Yeah, for sure. Um, right now, as you're saying, I'm looking at all the wearables that are on Sansar right now. Looks like yeah. as of this recording, it's just about at 5,100 different wearable items. <laughs> and I'm sure by the time people are listening to us, that number will probably be much, much higher than that. Yeah. And, and, and so this 5,100, most of those are Marvelous Designer garments. And the Marvelous Designer uh, integration was like first released in December. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty good rate. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> it's, it's very exciting. Very exciting. And one thing that I'm noticing as I'm scrolling through, I'm also seeing – a lot of the items being rated. Uh, I'm seeing some have four stars, five stars, stuff like that. So I guess this could probably fill its own. This is probably a, a topic maybe too big to get into too much detail about now, Jason. But in terms of, I guess, curation or vetting, how does that mm -hmm. get applied to Sansar, even by Second Life? Yeah, so, so in Sansar, we do some curation. We want to make sure people are seeing good content. And uh, it, it would try to surface that, you know, both in the Atlas, that's the directory of experiences of places you can go, things you can do. And then likewise in the store, you know, it's a, we, we want to surface that stuff. Okay. Now, here's a, this is another one, I like, guess, a stupid question for you, but uh, with again, I'm just like uh, staring at everything. I'm trying to not be completely overwhelmed by just the sheer variety of items that are available. But like, let's say somebody creates, uh, let's say sunglasses, for instance, and they upload to Sansar. Yeah. 
as like if I buy them, am I allowed to like put? The, let's say I want to have them sticking out of like shorts or out of like, a coat pocket or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Is that degree of utility like built into Sansar, or is that something that the content creator has to, I guess, adjust or accommodate for? Yeah, so the example of the sunglasses that you wear and then you stuff them in your breast pocket, mm-hmm. for instance, right? Yeah. Um, you would have to do that as two separate okay. models at this time uh, because it, the way the attachment system works. But, you know, it's early days for that stuff, mm-hmm. and we do see that avatar editor becoming more and more uh, powerful. And by powerful, I mean flexible, mm-hmm. you know, more more uh, significant and meaningful edits happening both to the face and the physique, but also the way in which the the uh, the uh, ensemble is accessorized, so to speak. So that's all stuff we're actively, very actively working on. And uh, users who have been in the system for a while and have been tracking our progress we release on a monthly at a monthly cadence um can attest that there has been some you know mm-hmm. s- relatively steady progress in these areas but it's something we're working on and, and to get it to be more and more expressive because uh avatars are important mm-hmm. they're uh, a really key part of uh, creating uh engaging and interesting uh, virtual experience platforms all right now here's a question i'm sure uh, somebody watching will probably have for you jason obviously with sansar and like a uh, second life it uses its own virtual currency it looks like it's sansar dollars for yes. the game in terms of i guess like the economy side how does that get translated into real money like what's like i guess the exchange mm-hmm. rate that's always a very uh, sticky yeah. situation for free-to-play games yeah, so <clears throat> the exchange rate right now uh, it may be up or down a little bit, but it, it's we've been it's been at around a, a hundred Sansar dollars to one okay. U.S. dollar. So it's a hundred to one. Um, the way the the Linden Lab uh, virtual currencies work uh, is there's an exchange. You go, you purchase uh, Sansar dollars with your fiat currency mm-hmm. you use those sansar dollars you know to buy or sell you know uh, or in the case of sell things you receive sansar dollars you know to do your trade and then when you're ready you sell your 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 uh, sansar dollars on the sansar dollar exchange mm-hmm. for fiat currency so that's how it's kind of a round trip okay you buy some dollars on the exchange and then you sell those dollars on the exchange. Mm-hmm. And with some of the goods I'm seeing, as you said earlier regarding like the sunglass example, like they have different mm-hmm. essentially it's a different model or a different texture at the moment. For like the goods on Sansar, and this could even be uh, associated to Linden Lab or I'm sorry, the Second Life as well. Are there examples mm-hmm. of like how does it work? Like let's say I put something on there can it be attached to someone else's goal? Like, let's say I have a specific ensemble that requires someone to buy, let's say, item X, Y, and Z before they can own this one. Is that something feasible or in Sansar? Um, 
perhaps someday. Okay. Uh, uh, right now, I, I mean, that kind of idea of, uh, you know, a set or a collection mm-hmm. or, you know, some complete outfit, uh, you know, we sell. There's some people to sell, you know. Mm-hmm. Alf- Excuse me. <laughs> There's people who sell, um, you know, outfits that include the shoes and the hats and the shirts and the pants, mm-hmm. you know. You know um, but uh, I, 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 I think I understand what you're saying. We don't quite do that yet, but it's certainly something uh, we could probably build in time. Right. And I know I can, I'm starting to feel as well. We'll probably begin to wrap things up in the next few minutes. And again, with somebody like Sansar, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> with something like Sansar still in development, there's still a lot more we can come back to in a future cast. Sure. So, yeah, that would be fantastic. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, we're trying to build a, you know, a virtual parallel universe mm-hmm. in many respects, you know. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll take a couple of days. <laughs> yes. It's not going to, uh, as people say, it's not like multiplayer <laughs> that everyone knows only takes a weekend to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, you just add it. Yeah. It's like usually like a little toggle yeah. on your built dialogue. Do you want to enable multiplayer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes or no. And then it just works on every platform without any bugs. Yeah, no latency problems, no no code, nothing like that. Yeah, it's like automatic. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, with that said, I have a few, I guess, final questions for you for tonight, Jason, and then I'll throw it over to you. So. As, as we said, for right now, Sansar is still in development. For people wondering, how long has it been? How long have you been working on it? So we've been working on it for uh, a, a couple years now. I mean, we we it's all our own technology. Uh, it's our own custom renderer, you mm-hmm. know, optimized, taking user created content into account, you know, taking network physics into account, you know. Um, so we, we've been at it for a while and, and building all those low level systems, you know, takes some time mm-hmm. and we, we finally got a lot of that foundational work out of the way. Uh, we continue to shore it up and refresh and, and continue to optimize, but we're finally in this position now where we're, 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 we're able to hone in and really focus on that end user experience more and more and polish that up and get that closer to kind of how we envisioned it a, a, a while ago. And, and you know, we continue to, uh, you know, tweak that and, you know, refine that, those ideas. But uh, we're excited that now we're finally, you know, into the part that users are seeing and actually able to roll in the feedback that we get from our users, you know, to help make the product better. Cool with each release good and i guess for people listening to this and again probably for the record side will probably be a few weeks from our actual chat but are there any big developments or updates or teasers for people listening uh that you may want to you know tease them out now jason oh geesh <laughs> uh you know we're always adding so this is what i would say we have a vibrant uh, creator community. People are always building new things. And those new things are driven very much by the ever expanding, uh, you know, uh, options in the scripting API as well as new import options and things like that. And so the fact that we continue to improve the capabilities there, give, give creators more and more, uh, 
knobs and levers and switches to play with um, and access to more and more sub, uh, systems within the engine. Uh, I would really encourage people just to keep logging in, keep checking out the events. Um, we're doing some really great collaborations with some esports uh, organizations and, you know, and yeah, it's always something new, always something fun. And I, I just check in, um, check in uh, on a regular basis, uh, log in and uh, give it a shot. Try it out. Get in there, build stuff. <laughs> All right. And I guess with that said, my final question, or I'm going to throw over to you, is there anything that we didn't touch on yet with regards to Sansar that you would like to elaborate on now, Jason? Yeah, I, you know, uh, I, I would I would urge people to 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 create the accounts, log in, and be aware that you can do it from your standard Windows PC, your standard laptop, Windows laptop. Uh, you don't necessarily you don't need to have a VR headset to do it. Um, that many people uh, that are hanging out in Sansar and going to the events and playing the games and stuff are just, you know, using uh, standard laptops. If you have VR, that's fantastic. And we encourage you to, to get in there and give it a shot as it is. A, it can be an amazing experience and very inspiring, but there's some really great places to explore. You know, fans of ready player one can go and visit, uh, official scenes that were right from the film built from the film assets uh which is really cool there's some really great museums virtual museums of of uh you know really cool uh sci-fi and film production art you know there's there's just so much stuff there's uh since we opened our doors uh, the uh, to our beta in uh, august last year our users have created over 16,000 worlds of those, you know, around 1,300 of which are actually publicly accessible. Anyone can just go and look and explore. Um, it, it's, it's, it's so far been a, a really inspiring and what feels and what I hope continues to be a, a bottomless uh, well of uh, creativity and content. And it's, it's amazing stuff. Great. And like we said, it's still being developed, so I'm sure uh, whenever we have you or Ebby back on, there'll be even more to talk about then. Certainly hope so. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, right, this is, you know, we've been on this on Sansar for a little while now. We've been actively developing Second Life for uh, going on 15 years, so um, we're never done. We're always striving to make make the the products better and better and more uh, useful and relevant and, and engaging for our community of creators and users. All right. So I think with that, we will wrap things up for tonight. Like I said earlier, there's when it comes to the idea of user-generated content, there is so much we could segue off into, but that will take us who knows how many hours in. So, uh, Jason, it has been a pleasure talking with you this evening. And like I said at the start, definitely congratulations on the success of Second Life and the best of luck with Sansar in the future. Thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for having me. And uh, I, I hope to chat with you again. And uh, I hope everyone uh, who's listening uh, logs in. Mm -hmm. 
Checks checks out Second Life, checks out Sansar. Get in there, build some stuff. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yep, and all clue links to And it's free. Exactly. It's free to do. <laughs> it's free. Free to build, free to explore, free to play. Mm-hmm. And all clue links to both down in the description below. So folks, if you're interested, be sure to check those out. But with all that said, we're going to end things for this week's edition of the Perceptive Podcast. If you'd like to support me and what we do here at Game Wisdom, you have several options available. To be a future podcast guest or write a piece for the site, you'll find information and links under Submissions Wanted on the front page. I'm always looking for new people to talk to, so please uh, feel free to get in touch. You can follow me on Twitter at GWBicer for general thoughts from me and updates throughout the day. Be sure to check out the Game Wisdom YouTube channel for video spotlights, uh, game design vlogs, and of course our live cast interviews. And last but not least, be sure to check out patreon.com slash GWBicer to support us directly and allow us to continue to grow and examine game design in the industry. I guess for you, Jason, are there any social media platforms relating to Second Life, Sansar, Linen Labs that you'd like to mention now? Yeah, we're on uh, Twitter, uh, at Sansar Official. I'm there, at Jason underscore Golston. Uh, and, uh, yeah, at Linden Lab, I believe. Yeah, no, we're, we're, on, we're on all of the socials. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but uh, with the, all that said, once again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Receptive Podcast. Tune in next time for where we'll discuss more about the art and craft of game design. But until then, have a great week.